What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Ryan, and on this episode, I am surrounded by amazing friends, Janelle, Dylan, and Erica, who are all musicians, and they all actually know what they're talking about. And we're talking about music and faith, so I feel like the guy in the room who has no idea what he's talking about, except for the fact that I love to rock out on some 90s karaoke. Yeah, and if you go to Theology Beer Camp, which we're going to continue to do, by the way, you can rock out with Trip Fuller and myself at Theology Beer Camp doing some karaoke. Speaking of, Homebrew Christianity just did a little event in North Carolina where we're about to start a new chapter with Chaz up there in Winston-Salem. Love partnering with Trip, so Chaz and Trip, they already knew each other. Exciting that North Carolina is going to be kicking some ass in the new year. And speaking of the new year, did you know that just recently we had our birthday? BrewTheology.org had its birthday. We are now one. We're no longer a newborn or an infant. We're now, we're now we're a toddler. We're walking around trying to figure out how to talk and do things. And so this is a movement that we believe in. We think that brewing theology in pub communities and creating healthy, meaningful, and eclectic dialogue is not just the way of the future. It's the way of the now. We now have, after one year, eight chapters across the nation. So we're looking at you, wherever you are in your town, your suburb, your church. You may you may have, haven't been to church in decades. And like a lot of our people in Denver, uh, you're interfaith, interreligious across the spectrum, and you're hanging out with your friends in pubs. You're like, let's organize something good, and we already got a few friends. Let's let's make some more friends because people want to talk about shit that really does matter. So email me or Janelle. I'm at Ryan at BrewTheology.org. Janelle at BrewTheology.org. We have a website, BrewTheology.org, where you can look at the different ways in which you can partner and sponsor with us. We obviously have a Twitter handle. Brew underscore theology and Facebook and Instagram. We are at Brew Theology. So happy birthday, Brew Theology. Looking forward to all the new groups like Winston, North Carolina, Winston, Salem, sorry, with Chaz up there along with Jacksonville. Those guys are already rocking it and we're going to have them on the podcast pretty soon. So if you like this episode, rate it, review it on iTunes, and we will talk to you soon. Peace. Dylan. Have you ever heard of the Big Bang? I have, Ryan. Well, let me introduce you to your topic. This religious counterpart, the sacred um. All right, so you know, you wrote the intro. We talk about Islam, Judaism, Christianity, music and faith. We're going to introduce ourselves and we're going to get back to your beautiful content. It's like music to my ears. Did you like guys like reading the content? Yes, it was awesome. It was fun. So well done. So Dylan, you can go first. Uh, hey guys, uh, I'm Dylan Brickhouse, and uh, I'm here uh, drinking a an oatmeal stout from Breckenridge Brewing tonight in celebration of dark beer season, finally. Woo-hoo. This is Erica Chambers from Nashville, and I will be drinking an old-fashioned soon. So when you tell a guest that you're going to make them a drink, you should probably make them a drink. Uh, this is Ryan. Uh, we're uh, at uh, my house, and I'm going to make Erica an old-fashioned later. And I also have my daughter here. What's your name? Caroline. Caroline loves music, so she's going to be up for this podcast tonight. Are you excited? Uh Uh-huh. That's right. So I grew up Southern Baptist Evangelical in the state of Texas, deconstructed that throughout the years, worked at mostly moderately non-denominational evangelical-esque churches. And in that context, I continued to deconstruct and had a lot of friends uh, in certain circles that allowed me to do that with them and vice versa. So, But now I'm just a big tent Jesus guy little Anabaptist, little UMC Methodist, little Pentecostal, little Jewish, little processy, liberation. So an evolving Anabaptist method, Jucostal, with a little bit of this and that. Oh, what am I drinking? 
this uh, nightmare fuel, and it's uh, it'll probably give me nightmares later. It's an amazing imperial stout from River North. That's awesome. Uh, this is Janelle, and I was Nazarene, and now I pretty much go by the label of Progressive Christian. I'm also drinking the uh, oatmeal stout by Breckenridge Brewery uh, because Dylan was nice enough to share with me like he shared this content with us. And I'm really excited to talk about music tonight. All right, so Dylan, um, you say that the entire universe is constantly vibrating. And if it ever stopped, that all life would end. And that's depressing. So scientists believe that the universe re uh, resonates at a B-flat. And I'm surrounded by a bunch of musicians, so I'm going to pretend like I know what all this means. And that is 55 octaves below middle C, which I don't, I don't know what that means. But uh, it's, it's really, really low. So you can't, you can't hear it. Like maybe my dog, my dog could hear it. No, I don't think your dog no? can hear Dogs it either. Dogs hear high. <laughs> uh, okay, low. so whales could hear it. I doubt it, but maybe. Who knows? So reading through this content was kind of fun because as a non-musician person, I'm going, oh, this this is making sense. It's like music for, for dummies. And then, um, you know, you said you could have really nerded out on it, yeah? Yeah, I was really trying to uh, not make it a music history lesson, um, and I kind of did that anyway, so. Yeah, but yours isn't boring like all the textbooks. <laughs> no, this was fun. All right, so uh, we have Islam, we have Judaism, we have Christianity, and then you did the introduction with Hinduism as well, which is uh, pretty great. So the major religious traditions, also people who are non-religious uh, can get on board with this. So if you're brewing theology in your community, uh, this content's great. You can always go to brewtheology.org and get this, but um, that'll come at a cost, right, Janelle? Yeah. yeah. I mean, then again, you could get a Starbucks drink. That's right. And it's going to cost more than this amazing than content. Than our amazing content, so... Uh, just reach out and let us know what you need. <laughs> uh, so let's start with our religious musical upbringing. And I think that's a good place to start. So what was your relationship with music and faith? And then we'll get into what it, it is currently. All right. So I was, like Ryan, raised Southern Baptist in uh, kind of a very contemporary Southern Baptist church, mega church kind of situation. So uh, what I was raised with was like this big... Um, the choir was kind of a, a secondary thing. They were just background music to like the rock band that was playing in front, right, of everything. And, and uh, you know, it wasn't, nobody said choir, they said praise team. There was the praise team and that was the focus of everything and sang a bunch of like Hillsong stuff and all that, that sort of thing. Um, now I have moved, I'm Episcopalian now, and uh, most Episcopal churches, not all, but most have a much more traditional musical view. Um, and so, you know, we've got organ in the background, sometimes piano, sometimes we bring in, you know, brass instruments for special occasions. Um, there's always a full choir. My church has probably one of the best choirs in Denver. I absolutely love that about it. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe that just speaks to me because I have a musical background, um, but, uh, it, it certainly, I think connects me pretty well with the music of it. Uh, this is Erica and my parents actually met in a music store and my dad sold my mom a guitar. She put it on layaway and he got her number off of the layaway slip. <laughs> so it runs pretty deep in my blood. And, um, my parents were doing music together before I was ever born, and um, as a family, we would go around to churches and sing. My sister and I would wear matching jumpers, and we would sing Sandy Patty songs. 
<laughs> we would do that. Um, and I think maybe a Michael W. Smith song was in there too. But um, it was just part of my identity growing up was being able to sing. It was part of my identity in my family too. And so we were mostly in more Pentecostal churches. And I remember being so proud that we had a praise team instead of a choir because it felt so progressive. <laughs> it was just like, we have praise teams. We're so progressive. We're so modern. So um, as I got older, I was on, I led worship a lot um, in lots of different contexts. And in some ways, it was some of the most meaningful um, times in my life where I felt like I experienced God more and in a different way and in a more intense way than like any other way. But now I've also kind of deconstructed and I'm just not sure what to do with that, <laughs> like with those experiences and with a lot of those songs and um, a lot of the lyrics in those songs, I'm, I'm not sure where to put them. Um, it's not all bad, but it, it feels a little weird and um, it's kind of like in a holding pattern right now, I think. So it's been good to, you know, last week to talk through this and kind of see that there's, I think, room for that, <laughs> for it to be kind of weird and not completely, um, you know, you don't have to, we don't have to put it all in like one category and leave it there. Like it's okay that it's complicated. Trust and obey. <laughs> There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I'm the only one that doesn't know this song. Or Come as you are. That was my childhood. So this that these are the songs for me that were just over and over repetition. And yet I was bored out of my mind because I, surprise, surprise, was diagnosed as an ADHD child in fourth grade. That I was back before it became guessed. cool. I was the poster child and they go, hey, Ritalin works for this kid. And hey, look, look at him go. Uh, so uh, sitting back, you know, in, the, in this um, old Southern Baptist church with these wooden pews, standing up during songs and then watching people go forward, it was not exciting. I didn't know why anybody thought that, that, that Jesus was fun and enticing. And, but I guess some that, that worked for them. It wasn't until college for me and my worship pastor, uh, my junior year in college was David Crowder. So some of, of y'all know, oh so, yeah, so some of y'all know the David Crowder band. And that's actually how I got into ministry as inner city youth pastor in that church. And I connected like none other because here was a guy on stage and this was back when he had a different hairstyle and different clothes and, but yet the same crazy quirky Dave and was singing songs to music that um, like, oh, this, this is fun, and they should put this on the radio. Guess what happened? Now he's on the radio. Uh, so that was my, my first connection to spirituality and, and faith through music. That then uh, I became, a, I became a, a CCM junkie, Erica. I really, I mean. I was too. We may yeah. have to battle. Ooh, this could be fun. <laughs> when I was like 12 years old, I begged my mom to go let me go see a Mercy Me concert in Birmingham. My 13th birthday was Michael W. Smith at the Palace in Detroit. Ooh. I led worship with Michael W. I Smith. <laughs> All right, she, she trumps me. I don't know. I'm sorry. I won't bring no, that up again. Totally so by the way, CCM is contemporary Christian music for those who are listening going, what are these goofballs talking about? We all have very similar backgrounds in that regard. Mm -hmm. CCM. And yet now it leaves a different taste in my mouth. I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't hate the CCM industry, or mostly it's evangelicals putting on really good, well-produced music. I just think some, now I'm more lyrically inclined to go, what, what are the songs about? What's the theology behind the songs? And so I look back at all those songs throughout the years going, man, like I was in touch with like the rhythm of my soul and dancing in the aisles, and I love to dance and sing. 
but the theology behind them is worrisome because no one, no one really thinks about the theology until it's already implanted. Feel, oh, yeah, kids will even say this. I just like the beats. Mm-hmm. And then they're listening to stuff on the radio, which sometimes we have to say earmuffs, right, Caroline? Yes. Yes, because of Katy Perry's on, which we both like. And then there's a song like California, uh, Teenage, what's the other one? Um, I Kissed a Girl and I I mean, you know, there's all kinds of things. And I'm like, what's happening? Not that they have that in the CCM world, but still there's theology there that you go, um, um, should we be exposing it to everybody in this massively produced world of radio and technology? Click of a button, boom. Then now you have a theology because of music with people who aren't theologians. You know, I've I always found it ironic that like the um, the evangelical churches started going toward the more modern music, whereas more liturgical churches started progressing in their theology but stayed with the old music. Oh my gosh, I it, never thought of it, that. It's it's crazy because you know the the Episcopal Church is so much more progressive than where I came from, but we we do we have these very traditional services, and and when we were talking about this last Thursday night, it came up. In my mind, that like um, what I, one of the things I love about our services is that the entire service, everything about it, is a big work of art that is kind of like lifted up to God. You know, uh, the first probably twenty minutes of the service, every single word that comes out of anyone's mouth is sung. Not until the first lesson is read is anything actually said without being sung. And so, uh, to me, I think uh, to, to Ryan's point that kind of makes you like an active listener, an active person in, in this big, beautiful work of art. And uh, in the evangelical churches, it, it's kind of like uh, an entertainment, you know? It, they're there for the entertainment, and they're, they're passive. You know, they've got their hands in the air a lot of times, so that was what it was at, at my church. But um, other than that, you know, they're not, they don't, there's nothing that you're doing that makes you think about it. One thing... That's really interesting. I had never thought about it that way. Um, one thing I noticed in evangelical churches when I was in them is like they would do anything if it would mean winning souls. You know, it would do, they would do absolutely anything if it meant that they could get save people from the flames of hell, literally. And I didn't see that same kind of panic in liturgical churches. Um, I, I don't completely know all of their theologies, but it seems way less focused on, oh my gosh, you're going to hell. And so I, I'm wondering if, because in my experience, even with Campus Crusade and things like that, there was a lot of adoption of pop movement to try to, as like an attraction, to try to get people saved. And I, I would just wonder if that has something to do with moving that way in pop music. Like, this is a way to get people in here and keep them out of hell, you know? Well, and I think it definitely helped create the Christian bubble, which um, created this disparity between the world and the church. And and I think in evangelicalism, you know, at least from the perspective of someone growing up in the 80s and 90s like and 2000s, like I didn't know, I knew there was other music, but I didn't know the other music because I was in my world. And I think that's part of what that whole thing did is they used it and then they also kept us there it's true like it's to create a parallel universe that feels like the upside down maybe like (laughs) that feels like like the world the secular world because I I worked at a family Christian store for this is all bringing up so much stuff I haven't thought about in forever but um my favorite thing to do was to go to like 
moms and dads who looked completely like bewildered in the store. Like my child's listening to Britney Spears and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I have a solution. If she yep. likes Britney Spears, she'll love Stacey Arico. Did and you have the list? I had, I had it in my brain. Uh-huh. I knew it. And I was so proud of myself for knowing it. I would take them to like, if they like new kids on, or no, it's beyond new kids on the block at that point but like they like Backstreet Boys they'll love plus one and so I had I had the whole list of comparisons memorized and I had so many thankful parents (laughs) tell me oh thank you so much I just want I'm so afraid I'm gonna lose my child to the world and so this will make them feel like they're still getting the same kind of thing but keep them in that parallel universe that's approved you know Mm -hmm. that's like like sanitized for your protection and, and approved like has a, a theological stamp on it. I definitely resonate with that. That was my experience. I I gave up uh, any music other than Christian music at 12 and didn't reemerge from that until 35. So I've just had a really startling like wake up call as I've come out of that of how isolating that whole experience was, not only musically in terms of being you know, everything being sanitized, but just also the experience of like what music should sound like and what it should be. Um, it, for for instance, like trying to write music, it always sounds Christian and I hate it. Like it just, oh, it just comes out that way because that's all that's been going in there. Even though I was classically trained and in choir and band and did all that stuff, but like nothing else, the rest of it was all Christian. Yeah, it's interesting that we're kind of coming around to this subject of like band music. I'm doing air quotes. Nobody can see me, but I'm doing air quotes right now. Um, That ended up being a huge focus when I was doing research for this. um, And what was going on here was a lot of religions or sects of religions have this like, this is the music you're allowed to listen to, and this is the music you're not allowed to listen to. Um, and, And in Islam, at least, it seems to be that that is a huge thing. Like they even have words for what is and is not accepted musically. Um, and, and that has been very much my experience, uh, when I was in the Southern Baptist church as well. I specifically remember, um, probably when I was in seventh or eighth grade, uh, my youth pastor told the entire congregation, if I ever, you know, hear, see you out in public and I, I hear you listening to rap music in your car, I'm going to go rip that CD out and, and destroy it. And like, and, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think rap music is evil, but I sure did at that time. <laughs> <laughs> and the kind of like control that, that communicates, like even saying that it's not just like, Hey, I would rather you not listen to rap music. Or I think that rap music's wrong. It's like, I'm going to reach into your car and rip it out and destroy it because that's the power I have over your life. You know, that's the power of Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you really love Jesus, you'll burn your collection and only listen to the good stuff. And I, I think the other side of this that we haven't touched on is just that musically often the Christian stuff was not as good. I mean, if we're being honest, I think now maybe production values have gotten to a point where there's more equivalency, but definitely back when CCM was really taking hold, it was just, a lot of it was terrible music. And it, I mean, it was just bad. Because they were trying to copy somebody else. And I had a friend who 
sorry, I have all these Nashville, I have a friend stories, but um, one of my best friends in college, his dad discovered Rebecca St. James and worked with, with these producers who, who did all this stuff. And I, I asked him one day, I was like, it seems like they specifically try, like found someone specifically to sound like this other person. He was like, oh yeah, we totally did that. And so Rebecca St. James was, um, I don't know if it was Avril Lavigne or, or if it was earlier than that. No, that sounds about but it was that kind of that kind of music, and um, uh, Bob Carlyle was my, like Michael Bolton. Like there were, and he was telling me all these people. He's like, yeah, we worked with them specifically. They became popular. We immediately looked for some a replacement. So there was already like the copy is never going to be as good as or, the original in just in any way. Like, you know, that's just never going to happen. And so it wasn't just actual creativity where something could be unique or different or its own thing before it had to copy something else was not, and there was, because of the money, you know, they had to, it had to be a sure thing because it was financially viable to do that. It wasn't, they couldn't take a risk on somebody who is just themselves. So that was a weird, a weird thing. Uh, another interesting thing that brought to mind with me was uh, that same youth pastor Went to a Jeremy Camp. Was Jeremy Camp? Yeah. Am I saying the right person? Okay. Went to a Jeremy Camp concert, and you know we, that was one of the the people that we you know did worship to in the youth services all the time. He went to a Jeremy Camp concert and got a chance to actually like go backstage and meet Jeremy Camp, <clears throat> and uh, he came back and said, "Man, that guy uh, he he was cussing and drinking, so we're not going to do any more Jeremy Camp music anymore." And it was just it was done. You know, put the kibosh on that. Jeremy Camp was drinking alcohol and saying shit. I, that's uh, apparently so. Uh, that's maybe he I should hear. come join us. <laughs> right? I saw Jeremy terrible, Camp once. Terrible. The guy's ripped, by the way. <laughs> and he's got, he, has, he has an incredible story, too. But, all right. So, moving on. Uh, <laughs> I Actually, by the way, and this is for the listeners and for you guys, uh, I, I was upstairs because my daughter was hungry, now I'm back down. What did I? What did I miss? That I'm like, should I add something to this, or can we actually go on? Uh, Nothing I think to we add. We can go on. I mean, I really do like the second half of number one, though. Yeah. How does music enrich your faith experience now? Yeah, because it's it's clearly we've all we've all changed quite mm-hmm. a bit throughout the years. I no longer jam out to Caleb in the car. <laughs> I know I'm really making people sad, but I respect those that do. It's just not my thing anymore. I love so Red Red Rocks. Uh, I've I've only been to a few concerts there. I know living in Denver, we should go all the time. Like that is a sanctuary out there, and the music. There's something there. I mean, regardless of it's whatever Christian music, secular music of any kind. I mean, there's because they play everything up there. It's just it's a beautiful time. So I like outside venue. Um, gatherings with um, I went to the Pepsi Center the other night and it was good production was great but it's not the same it's not the same so when we were getting ready to move here a couple years ago we asked people we're moving to Denver what do we need to make sure to do and everyone said go to Red Rocks and we're like what like you want us to go to a concert and they're like yes and we're like wait you have the Rocky Mountains like I'm coming from Kansas City like that's important right the mountains they're like no go to Red Rocks and we didn't really understand until we went and now we've gone several times yeah there's, there's it's nothing just like an it. amazing experience so if you're ever visiting Denver after you come attend Brew Theology and meet all of us then you need to go to a concert at Red Rocks because it's just it's yeah. indescribable and I, I feel like I, I would, if anybody would say hey I've got tickets tonight I wouldn't have to say, well, who's playing? Because no. it's, it's magical Just every go. time. Just go. Yeah. 
I've still never been to a concert. Confession, I've not been to a concert uh, at Red Rock. I've lived neither. here almost three years, and oh, I live 10 minutes away from natural it. Natural amphitheater. Oh, oh man. We yeah. gotta fix this. I've been here 10 months. I went, I went there to take pictures and hike and stuff, but and there was a concert going on, but I haven't been actually to one yet. It's definitely right. on, the list. So, so we'll it's on the list. So we'll let you know when we decide to do uh, Brew Theology Goes to Red Rocks, and then if you want to fly out, you can join us, okay? Is Jeremy Camp going to be there? <laughs> Only if he's not. cussing and drinking with us. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, how does how does it in, uh, enrich your faith experience? Is it music? Is it uh, the lyrical part of it? Is because some of y'all are like classical. Oh, actually, all three of you, like you're you're so nerdy in a good way. Okay, don't don't hurt me for saying this. To where you you can't really even do karaoke. No, Ryan picks on me because I am classically trained, and so karaoke actually befuddles me quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> because he tells me, I take this for his from his word, that it's not about your performance, but that doesn't actually compute to me at all. It's really hard. Um, yeah. It needs to be good, but no, it doesn't. I don't understand. Um, so we can all work on that at the next beer camp that we're at with Trip. Um, for me, music is super complicated. Eric and I were actually at the same table two weeks ago, and um, if you if you've ever been on a worship team in a church, then you know that that is not always a very healthy environment. Um, and I I just have the only way I know how to say it is a lot of damage from those experiences, um, and so I don't do much of anything with church music. Um, the church I go to, we sing a cappella hymns, and I can stomach most of them. Um, I really love what we would have called secular music, which I think is just human music, and the complexity and the way that it shows us the complications in life and ex the, the vastness in our experience. Um, and actually, that music has been super transformational to me in my own faith transition of understanding the relationship I now have with the church and with my faith. Um, so complicated would be the word about how music interacts with my faith life now. Yeah, I'm pretty, com I'm pretty complicated with that too. And we had such an in-depth conversation. It was super intense. <laughs> I think the other people at the table were like, what's happening? Yeah. Nobody else led worship. And we were like, maybe we should talk about this over drinks. But um, Lots of drinks. Yeah, yeah. So I come from a culture where in Nashville, music is so commoditized. That's the right word, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was really hard to just purely love it for music's sake, whether it was Christian or, or not, because everybody was trying to make it their career and their life, including me. I, most of my friends are songwriters. I was, still am, I guess. I've written some this year, but <clears throat> trying to do music seriously and as a songwriter for a lot of years. So it was hard to just get out of that and just be like, I'm just going to enjoy this because I'm like, how could I add this to my thing? What am I doing wrong? How could I? Like It was always felt like work. Um, so I'm still, I still really struggle with that. And then when I've been able to write the, the best parts of being able to write or the best times have been when I was processing something and I feel like I came, I processed something and worked, excuse me, worked through something in a song and, and like it was, oh my goodness, excuse me. <clears throat> um, 
uh, like after my sister passed away, I wrote tons of songs grappling with my faith and loss. And each song made me feel so much better. And I would go back to that song and listen to it and go, that encapsulates exactly how I felt and where my journey was there. So I can just look at that and go, that explains it. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing to be able to have that. Um, Now, having moved away from there and um, I just, I don't listen to music a lot and I, I want to, but every time I do, I just, it stresses me out. And I think about the fact that I didn't take it more seriously or push harder and I just turned it off and listened to podcasts. So, um, I'm still, you know, I'm hoping that's not like the end of the story with that, but it is also very complicated. And like we talked about before, there's like the, that manipulative question um, like, is this with, with worship, worship leading, like, is this manipulation or is this just com- communing? Uh, because the, with the lyrics, you know, if you, if you say or sing the same thing over and over and over again, that's a very powerful means to get everybody on the same page, believing the same thing. And it reinforces whatever it is for good or bad. Yeah. It could be a really good thing. You see that at stadiums too. Like they, the chance and the stuff, we are all on the same team. We are all rooting for the same thing and we are together. And um, if it's healthy, then that's great. But if it's uh, like I talked to a friend a couple weeks ago who also had led worship for a long time, and we both used to love In Christ Alone, a song In Christ Alone. And we both were talking about how now we really struggle with the line, the wrath of God is satisfied. Because we're like, what does that mean? You know, and we're diving then into like, um, oh gosh, theories, retributive type type, um, the penal substitutionary theory with this, all the theories, atonement Atonement theories. Thank you. Um, and I'm like, this wasn't this stressful back then Mm because I just sang it. I thought a little bit about it, but it was more like, well, I'm going to heaven. That's good. You know? And now it's like, I don't even know if I can sing that. I've got all this weird stuff around that song and those kinds of lyrics. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's really complicated. Yeah. Mine is it is well with my soul, which I know makes everybody hate me. But I, I've just gotten really hypersensitive in the last few years that we use that song as a response to tragedy and that I call BS. I'm sorry. That is, it is not well and it should not be well when you're singing that after racist, racial attacks or terrorism or as a response to sexual misconduct allegations. It is not well and it is not okay. And that's one that I just, um, that is broken for me. So, so would we be okay knowing that a song like that makes somebody, and if not masses, the majority of people feel better? It makes them sleep better at the end of the day, and they can go to bed at peace, or is this just say, no, get real with your feelings and the reality of our world? Well, is it the musical equivalent of thoughts and prayers? That's the first yeah. thing that came into my head, you know, where it's like, this is the only thing I know what to do right now. This is the response. And it somehow makes people feel better, but it doesn't actually move anything forward or change anything. Right. That really all seems to me very much like the whole idea that, um, you know, somebody knows all the answers, right? <laughs> right. Like, and that was very much what I used to get out of the church was, Oh, you go to the preacher, you go to the youth pastor, you, you go to your accountability partner. And, um, and the answer is there, open up your Bible and it will fall in front of you. And, and there's a song for it too, you know? Yep. Yeah. Speaking of songs and manipulation and concerts, I was at a Hillsong concert back, they were in Denver a year ago and uh, Hillsong is 
everyone, it's like the anthems and everyone's up with hands in the air. And then you look around the stadium, Pepsi Center, okay? I mean, this is like talking tens of thousands of people here. And the lights are perfect. They're on cue. The singers are on the certain parts of the stage with the lights on them, saying the right thing, getting people to do. And and I, there's a moment where I just take a step back and I look around, old men, young kids, people of all different races. And I mean, it's this is like, this is happening. Okay, well, we used to lead, you know, worship and create worship gatherings. You used to do this. You did this. And as somebody who's in ministry, I helped create those spaces, would come up uh, before or after, whether I was transitioning uh, before a sermon or after, or like bring the band back up. And uh, it, it is, uh, it's helpful. Music is doing something to these people. But then, yeah, at what point is, this is just manipulation. And I would have friends, and we would talk about this after services, saying, Oh man, like we, we, we put this together knowing that um, people would respond this way, regardless of what we thought about it. Especially if it's in conjunction with a sermon where you're driving it towards a certain response. I think that makes it really feel icky. Yeah, because at, at the end of these, and, and, I, and I, will, I will say this, and just I, th- I think Hillsong is an amazing band. Some people hate Hillsong. I'm kind of like I have different feelings about them because I think that um, I think their hearts are good. They do really good things in the world, uh, but there is a point <laughs> during the service where, of course, right at the right time when they lead people to Christ. Now, is that a bad thing? Um, I don't know, but how they go about doing that makes me cringe a bit. I mean, as a Christian, I'm like, yeah, it's great for people to follow Christ, but then how we do that because then the next morning they get up. You're not going to have Hillsong in your bedroom planned, or you could, and maybe you can create your own stadiums with surround sound, with technology. It's not the same. You don't have the people in the fields and the hugs and people sweating next to you and all that stuff, although that's disgusting. But some people like it. The energy of a room, critical mass is what we call it. If you get a room, a room, well, any, any room, right, with critical mass in there and those feelings, like people feed off each other. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about even like the, the, the timing of the swell of a music and modulation, like the second you, um, you go, to, you, you modulate, you can just time those arms just going into the air. Like, right. Is there something more spiritual about going up two keys, like to going up? No, but like for some reason it, it moves your, it's, it, it moves you as a human. And Chris Tomlin is the king of this. He knows, mm-hmm. he knows how to do this so well. The modulation. Yeah. yeah. So what, is that bad or is it just a tool that like, you know, it's powerful. So you need to make sure you use it. You know, it's response. You're responsible. It's so, it's so hard. So I'm going to, I'm going to be the the person to bring this back around, uh, I guess, to the question on this. Um, my argument to that would be, you know, kind of, as we discussed at the, the very beginning of this, you know, the entire universe's vibrations and, uh, music is fundamental to human life, w- whether it's you know music like we're discussing here or literally just vibrations. It is fundamental to our existence. Um, and so when it resonates with us, we can't help but feel a certain way about it. So of course it enriches our faith experience, and of course it can be used to manipulate people in that way. It can also be used for positive purposes, for uplifting. Um, there was a time in history, I, I believe, and in- in- Please don't quote me on this because I'm very rough on my music history (laughs) at this point. Um, I don't think it was actually religiously related. Um, But during a certain time period, there was an idea that music is um, that 
music without words is better than music with words because it forces the intellect to get involved and think about, you know, what, what do these chord progressions mean? What does, what does all of this actually mean rather than somebody literally telling you and getting involved in the words of it? Well, it seems, I don't think I would have agreed with you 10 years ago, but, or not that agreeing with, not that you think that, but I think I would have thought that was a really stupid idea 10 years ago. And now I'm like, you know what? That might not be a bad idea because, you know, even though chords can be manipulated in a certain way to make people feel certain things at certain times, there's not a dogma attached to it saying like, okay, let's repeat over and over again this one thing that, you know, could be, you know, I'm like worm theology almost like I'm, I'm worthless. I'm a worm, but God, you know, like, like I'm worthless. How great of him to like love this worthless piece of crap, you know, and singing that over and over and over again reinforces in your mind that you really are worthless. And that just makes me think of all the altar calls of kids going up and crying, which, which seemed at the time really touching. But really when you looked at what they were crying about, they were terrified that they were going to hell and they were terrified that God didn't love them and that they had sinned. A lot of them, they had gone up multiple times. We used to laugh about that. Like, oh, as a kid, you know, we I went all the time to the camp. altar every trying to get saved. But there's like a deep insecurity as far as like where you're going to spend eternity and if you're even worthy of love. And that can be reinforced by music, which is really, really scary and really dangerous. And so... Isn't it ironic that the point of those services seemed to be to tell you that God loved you and yet it made you feel like God didn't love you? Yeah. yeah that, that's crazy ironic. Well, yeah. it was like nar- narcissistic ab- ab- abuser type... And gaslighting. Type... type techniques where it was like we're gonna break you down or like maybe the army I don't know you know like we're gonna break you all the way down to the tiniest molecule till there's nothing left of you and then build you back up just the only way we build you back up is like the only reason you're worth anything is because God God somehow looked at you and thought you were okay and we're gonna do it several times a year at revival and then we're gonna do it again at camp just to make sure that you know that you need to repent again. You need to come forward again. You need to get my tradition, get sanctified like over and over. It was I just mean, this guilt ridden, desperate, like, please have mercy on me. Please have mercy on me. I'm not worthy. Oh my God. I'm the worst. You know that, I mean, not all church. I know tons of churches that, that aren't like that and don't reinforce that even evangelical ones, but I experienced a lot that did and the music was a part of it. And so, mm-hmm. um, well, you, and you're right. I mean, referencing like narcissistic, behaviors and abuse as much as we don't want to admit that um gaslighting is all about making the person being victimized feel like they can't be believed or that the story that they're telling is false or that the way they told the story is made up or changing the way they tell the story to match that of the victim or the of the abuser and unfortunately when you start applying those things to some of these situations that many of us have been in leadership for it really is disturbing because that really, it is present. That isn't, wasn't our intention. It wasn't um, the purpose, but it is what happened. And, um, and I think out of that has to come repentance, which those of us that are recovering from it absolutely do. Um, but where is the church coming along and saying, maybe the techniques we've used all these years to make sure the world is saved are not healthy and not fair and not loving. Um, and I, I think 
I, there's just really no way for me in my experience that music isn't tied into that. And that really sucks because music was my life for a long, long time. You know, a lot of the songs in scripture are songs of lament and mourning. And of course, there's there's always the rejoicing stuff that we like to, we got to play those songs because you can only lament too long. And, you know, you've got this, this season that the Christians do, it's 40 days. Oh, some people can, that's 40 days too long for some. Uh, but it's important. So, um, wh- why don't we? Yeah, what is it? What is our deal with not like doing the songs of lament? And if we do them, why do we feel the need to like we got to put the rejoice song at the end, or at least like balance it out? We can't just do a whole, you know, three, four songs, a whole set of lament. I've written so many lament songs and bummed so many people out. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, because people want the hip hop, right? They want I'm the- like, this is how I feel. I wrote this song called called Man of Sorrows, just talking about you know, Jesus relating to us and understanding our pain and being like, not just saving us from it, but just experiencing it alongside us. And it's probably one of my favorite songs I've ever written. And every, every time I sing it, I think people, some people are really bummed out because it's like, can Erica just, is it possible for you to, to write a happy song? But then always somebody would come up to me and be like, oh, I just lost somebody or I just went through this thing. And like, I needed that right now because I, I don't need somebody telling me everything's going to be fine or that, you know, are just, just the happy thing. Like, I just need some solidarity here, you know, and if that's Jesus being alongside me, then cool. So that's, that's where I've kind of always gone. I think for me, like, I'm probably a little out of balance with that because of a lot of circumstances in my life kind of kept me in, in that kind of mode. But, um, so it's, it's so much more of a challenge for me to, I I wouldn't even know where to start. I feel like it would sound so fake if I like wrote a song of rejoicing. Like, I don't, I wouldn't even know like how to, how to start that. I feel like it would sound like silly or like I was mocking people who were happy. Maybe you you should just turn on some Maroon 5. (laughs) Hey, now, now, now. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of being crushed, I'm going to go crush some sugar and ice cubes with some bitters and whiskey for you. And y'all continue the conversation. I'm going to make an old fashioned. All right. I'll be back. I could write a song of rejoicing about that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to uh, look up. I, I can only think of one like quote unquote lament song in all. Uh, I'm not going to sing it because I'd be so embarrassed, but I can't quite remember the title of it. There it is. Okay. Praise you in this storm by uh-huh. Counting Crowns, and that's like casting the only... Crowns. Counting casting, Crowns. Ca- that's so funny. Counting Crows. Counting Crowns. Crowns. Sorry. That would be uh, a good name for them. <laughs> is that... Uh, do they compare on the list? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, no. Uh, that's like the only like lament song that I can think of in all of CCM. And here's the thing. Like, people You're going to make the, the points. So many times. <laughs> no. Well, and, and then there's... I can only imagine you guys. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That one, too. <laughs> But what I'm thinking of, like, these songs, they're not. I I liked what you said about, like, you know, Jesus lamenting with you sort of thing. That was more like, I'm so upset, but, you know, Jesus got it. Yeah. (laughs) It's like uh, it's it's all in God's hands and I don't have to do anything. And that's just, that's dangerous. They're just empty platitudes. And it's really hurtful to people who, you know, well, God's got it or everything happens for a reason. And you're, like, sitting there, like, like bleeding out you're like thanks guy you know uh-huh. <laughs> like oh my god i can pray this away yeah and uh it is well with my soul it's just coming back to my mind because i i totally hear what you're saying about that but i'm wondering kind of like i i think i hear that song a little bit differently where it's like 
can like it is well with my soul is I think asking the question like can I stay steady not this is all okay but can I stay steady and, and move forward and I don't know about because sometimes I don't think of that as a lament song but when I think about the story behind it with like Horatio Spafford right. and having lost his wife and children and everything I'm just wondering if he's saying like okay everything's fine or just like can I just stay convinced that God is good even though I'm not um, and I, I think that is what I'm not saying everything's fine or good but traditionally I think think about that song yeah but it's been like um commandeered or yeah you know almost like appropriated for for like things are fine we're all going to sing this and feel better and then not take action so I think it can be yeah I definitely am not saying no one can sing it and my church sings it and I just don't I mean and that's totally fine I just think like it's an example that's an understandable that's an understandable response to it though like what you're saying I think is totally understandable and maybe maybe it is um maybe it is partially coming out of the fact that we don't have laments Mm -hmm. we don't have stuff to sing when things go wrong so that has become one of those songs there's not a it is not well you know there's not a song that's like this is shitty (laughs) like this is terrible and let's acknowledge that this is terrible like there I don't know if there's a song like that that just like it probably if we went and looked through some of the more traditional hymns. I'm sure if we looked in Charles and uh, totally forgetting, I should be shot. <laughs> uh, the Wesleys. If we look at the Wesleys, yeah. like I'm sure that stuff is in there. Um, it's just we don't have those in our modern hymnals because they're our hymnals are also controlled by a lot of these music companies in one way or another. And our culture and what our culture decides to do and our culture is terrified of acknowledging tragedy and right. facing death head on. They it has to like it's a distraction. Yeah. Culture, so our music kind of fits in there. And I think we'll move off of CCM for a while here. We'll try, but I think that's I think that's one of the things I hear in all of us that have kind of just come out of this is that there's a real gap in the catalog of what we're given in order to process. We're supposed to be worshiping Jesus and be close to Jesus and we're supposed to feel good, but there seems to be a real lack of stuff that actually acknowledges that things are not okay and that God isn't in control or is choosing not to be in control or that maybe God doesn't cause everything that actually bad things just happen. Um, there's not a huge amount of songs that are willing to say that, and that leaves a huge hole in in our worship and maybe in our theology yeah. as well. Um, and I think that's when I, when I talk to people that have left CCM behind and left K-Love behind, it often has a lot to do with that. Like, I want to hear about real life because I'm living real life and I'm facing down these kinds of things and there's nothing there that's speaking to that. There's actually a really vibrant community of Christian musicians or musicians who are Christians who are writing these songs and they're amazing but they're not marketable and they're not commercial. They're there and they are better than, I mean, the talent is there, the the musicianship, it's not a, it's not an issue of quality. They're just not, they don't fit the model, but they're there. They're just harder to find. Well, and they, that's getting, really helped me a lot. We're getting now even outside of faith and music because that's the music industry as a whole. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, it's it's awful, but there's like literally a pattern that they set up and composers have to follow this many bars of this mm-hmm. and this many bars of this. And it's if you formula. Don't fit that, 
that formula, then you're out. So now we'll make the, the move towards please support net neutrality and call your senators. Because if you don't, we may not, you may not be able to hear us um, because we don't know who is going to take control of the internet if that law is changed. Sorry for the advertisement. So have any of y'all um, actually experienced a Hazan in a Jewish temple, a congregation? Which is pretty amazing because this is like the focal point within the, the, the Jewish circles where you have uh, this person who comes out with um, the scriptures and everybody, like they dance around the room and everybody stands up and they place their, you know, their hands to their lips and they kiss it or they touch it. And it's this very, and the whole, the whole thing is about, it's like you're saying here in the notes, right? It's uh, the spiritual leader who is musically inclined and they're doing this liturgy in a way that like makes people excited about what God's doing and has been doing. And of course with the Hebrew scriptures, like that's what you have. I mean, it's, if you read it in Hebrew, which I don't know if you read your Bible in Hebrew this morning in your devotion, guys, but it has a different uh, what? It has it has a different way of uh, of, of impacting you. Now, because if you read the Psalms in English, they're kind of boring. They don't make sense. So anyway, uh, I I would encourage people if you've never been, go to a Jewish service if you're interested and watch the Hazan and watch the impact that person has on the, on the people. Let's go as a group. Let's do it. I would that would be to. so cool. Yeah. Can we go to uh, Rabbi uh, Booth Nadav's. Yeah. Um, he so so Stephen. I think he does. Um, Oh, what does he do? He he does like a cont- contemplative center in a retirement home. I feel like I, th- I think that's what he does. Yeah, I think so. But Judaism your way—that's actually Judaism your way is a little bit different. But they their Passover service, like the rabbis will sing, and it's very experiential and mm-hmm. participatory. But I, I like the fact that you know you have it in the tradition. When I say traditional, I mean like the rootedness of our Judeo-Christian faith. It's participatory. It's not the people on the stage who are in charge, who are the leaders. Like, yeah, there, there's people who lead you in this, but then it becomes about the the whole. Um, now you could say, oh, well, we're all still standing and singing during church services, but it's really about the performers on the stage. Yeah. Because our, our focus is on them the whole time. Yep. And that, that to me is a little bit of a pet peeve. Like, I, I wish services in general were more participatory. Yeah, it turns people into worship stars, which is a weird oxymoron. <laughs> Like, what is a worship star, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, how the was... Icon that or how about, how about the, the icon. question? The question of how was how was your worship this week, Janelle? Which yeah. really is like, was the music good? Or, I mean, did you perform well? And, like, <laughs> that's it, that, that's just not fair for anybody, including the person who's leading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is it judged on, you know, ex- like, excellence? Like, preciseness? or nope, you know, not usually. Or, again, modulation? Or we had some extra instrumentalists, so they really filled out the sound? You know, there's so mm-hmm. many. And I've, I've been a part of, I mean, I've really been dogging this, but I've been a part of some really powerful worship services. And where I felt, even before I went through as much of a faith shift as I've gone through now, I always felt like it was such a huge responsibility in leading worship, um, even in the middle of evangelicalism, that when we I was usually part of teams that prayed beforehand and that like, like pretty seriously. And one, one part of our prayer was always, God, make this not be about us. Like whatever ego we have attached to this right now, like help us not focus on that. Like obviously like help us be excellent without the humble brag prayer focusing on ourselves. Well, I think it kind of, but like we, I know I was, and a lot of us were really, were really sincere because um, a lot of people really wanted to see people just 
I don't know, feel the presence of God in worship. Like, I don't know how else to, what else to call it or how else to describe it. And there are a few times where I don't know, even, I don't even know like what, what to do with this at all, but like where I felt very intuitive during worship and I was given some freedom, um, to just where I felt like little movements or something. Like I, like I felt, you know, to, to say a certain thing or like something was going on in, in the audience. And it, I was not intentionally manipulative at all, but it felt like something was really going on. Like it felt like there was a presence in the room. And I, I remember getting really still and really quiet and just like, oh my gosh, something's going on that's so much bigger than me. I don't know what this is, but I feel really humble to be a part of it. And that was, that was honest. I don't know if real is the right word, but it was very sincere and it was very powerful and it moved me and it wasn't about me. And I still like miss that. I miss that a lot. And I would love to go back to that, but it's couched in so much of the other stuff that I left behind that I don't know that you can extract it. Yeah. I don't think, and I don't think we have to feel compelled to explain away those times. Like, I think we all have them, um, whether we are leading or participating. And And those things didn't necessarily have to do with modulation or how good something was. It was something else. And I don't, I don't quite know, you know, I think, and that's where like a lot of us maybe call ourselves mystics now, you know, where where there's room for mystery. I think where this rubs wrong with us is that it's people that are trying to reproduce that or produce that on a regular basis, on a pattern that it can become dependable. And that's to me where the falseness is. And the bigger and more powerful the powerful the church, the more that is necessary because the more they have to lose. Right. You know? Like you the Pepsi Center, they have to reproduce that every time. Otherwise they're gonna go bankrupt. Like there's so much at stake that they cannot not do that. And so it makes it harder to go, wait a minute, should we? Like do we is this really the spirit leading or is this just like when we modulate now or like what we do now because we know people are gonna feel like they got their money's worth. And that Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> so money ends up owning us rega- yeah, regardless here. Whether you are a quote-unquote secular artist. Did you get your artist, money's worth of worship? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, ch- churches who have created who've created this and who have then gathered hundreds and thousands, if not ten thousands of people, mm-hmm. like if you, 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 you realize like you've got a huge uh, staff and you got a payroll and you got to pay the mm-hmm. bills for the electricity and the instruments. I mean, we all know, I mean, we've all worked in, and participated in churches before. I mean, it's it's not cheap. You gotta you, 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 people have to feed their families, and so then like, well, this comes back to is is this where the church is at fault, mm. or we shouldn't have made it this way? I want to go back to what you were saying about the whole you know pray to make this not about me situation because I've been there and I've felt that, and um, it is it sucks the power right out of everything that you're doing in a very strange way. Um, Strangely, once I got out of that, now I feel very different about worship services. Like when I was, when I was singing in the choir at my current church, I felt like it was actually okay for me to perform and acknowledge that I was performing. And that is a very powerful thing because it took the taboo out of it, right? It wasn't about, reproducing an experience, quote unquote, it was just about us being a community, me playing my part in the service. And, and that was a performance part and nobody denied that. Nobody was trying to make it not be about a performance. Um, you know, and 
and the pressure was just off to to do this quote unquote reproduction garbage and, and we we were we were just a community singing and that was great you and know? singing well and being allowed to acknowledge that you are qualified to be doing what you're doing like i there was just this this was a huge strain in my tradition of you you can't even acknowledge that you like might have been born with vocal cords that are more built for this and the fact that you run them well um means that you're talented like that's just pride there's no space for that um and so then mediocre people that are more humble get the microphone and then it's just crap like i mean it's just it very confused i think it's really confusing and really hard um to find a way through that and i'm glad you're in a space where you're allowed to use your whole voice and participate and be part of that you talk about it taking the pressure off and i just had an like a flipped completely opposite experience with it because i had such debilitating stage fright for so long i still deal with it somewhat but it was it was debilitating for like a decade. And so that prayer of like, let this not be about me and let it be about you. It gave me like a reason. I was like, this isn't even about me or what I do. This isn't, this is like beyond that. This is bigger than that. And that helped me be less nervous actually. Like, so I felt like the pressure was off when I reminded myself that it wasn't about me and my performance, even though I had every intention of being excellent you know, but I, I still did. I wasn't like, I'm going to purposely sing like crap so that I don't get prideful. But, and the other thing in Nashville, the culture, there is a celebrity worship culture there. Like it, it's so powerful there. It's so big that you, I mean, some of the, some of the um, big mega churches around here are similar, but people were coming out of that world that became national and international names. And where it became all about coming on Sunday to see this personality, this celebrity-driven thing, where it was like the other extreme of like, yeah, this is excellent, but this is now like, um, I don't know, like David Bowie leading worship or something, you know, where it's just like, I oh, would go to that church. We're just here for Christian worship Bowie, you know, instead of like anything else. And it was all about this person, which is like that other extreme of just being a just a performance and not any humility or anything about Christ. So like, I think that there's just like so much that can go out of balance on, on that. And I needed, I needed to focus on something else. Cause otherwise I was like, what are people going to think of me? You know? And we had, <laughs> I don't know. I had people go to the pastor and talk about, talk to like pre critique my voice and my stuff. Like, like I was showing, like actually telling the pastor that she thought I was showing off. Yeah. And, um, and at a, at a service where I definitely wasn't, you know, where I definitely just felt confident enough to do it, to do a good job. And um, so I was just like, OK, well, I can apparently never win. So that's great. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? yep. I think you just made never my point win. for me. <laughs> that is, OK. OK. I see what you mean. Maybe we should just allow worship services to be karaoke services. Yeah. That would change everything, right, you know? But what about the theology, Ryan? What about the theology? What about the yeah, let's talk about theology. So, Because you had mentioned earlier there was a song that you were yeah. singing a while back and you couldn't sing it anymore, The Wrath of God Being Satisfied. Yeah. What other, like, theologically, uh, in, your, in your own opinion, uh, inaccurate, false, or ooh, makes you go ooh songs 
are out there. And how would you how would you write sound? Now, when I say sound, I'm talking this is like in your opinion because we all have different different theological opinion. Theologically sound music today, because you had talked about being real. But what about what about the God? So the God aspect. So there's the, there's the humanity aspect about let's just be real about how we're doing and uh, the state of the world. But then there's the God part. It, this this wrathful God, you know, appeasing him and okay. So we don't want that music. At, at least you don't. I do. Not. Some people who are listening <laughs> like that God, and that's 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 on them if they like that God. Um, well, I think uh, you know one person that does this really well is Mike Crawford of Jacob's Well in Kansas City, and Mike is really intentional about basing all of his songs on the text. So he is wrestling with the realities of human life and the ups and downs and the things we experience, but he's pulling that out of the text and keeping it grounded in the text and. Um, when, when I was first kind of going through this faith transition, that music was such, such a helpful thing to like take out that production part of it, of, you know, making it fit the mold of, of CCM and, and at the same time, having someone that is extremely talented himself has cultivated a group of musicians that, uh, are phenomenal that are in the Kansas City music scene, and yet not there was I never sensed that there was that sense of like worship of the worship team. It was just very much like here's the here's what we do, and we're going to come and do it, and we're going to do it well, so that you can be present with God the way you need to be. And I just I I think that's a big part of it for me when it comes to theology like rooting it into what we actually know we believe by by rooting it into the text and letting the text speak and become the music and then also just being like really down-to-earth people in what you're doing um this is a little off your question but like I went and had a conversation with him about what would you know what how do you pick your people and basically said, well, these are my requirements, this, this, and this. If you think that you can meet those requirements, you're welcome to audition. But if you can't, then it, it's not an option. And that was it. Like, there wasn't all this game playing. There wasn't all this drama. It was just like, this is what I expect of my people. And you're welcome to, to try if you feel you meet that standard. Um, and... Everybody was polite and good, and it was just a really positive experience all the way around, both the music and the theology and also the interaction. Theology is hard because we're all in such different places with that. Like, process theology is super different from more what traditional, you know, theology. There are no process songs out there. And so as far as, like, what... Let's write one. What God does or how God is involved, whether we use the pronoun he, what, you know, if there's any, like we're co-creator, there's so much, and I don't totally understand process or even a little bit, but I know enough to know that like the personification would be super different than some other songs, right? So like even for, for everybody who's faith shifting or deconstructing or whatever to agree on songs that that we can, you know, all come together on and go, yeah, yeah, I think we can all agree that this is something that we think is real. 
is I think impossible <laughs> at this point. And um, so we're like, well, what's sound theology? Like even Janelle, you're talking about the text and I'm in a place where I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a very progressive church right now, but still we've decided um, in this season to, to um, follow the liturgy. And so a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, we've just read stuff without a lot of context or without a lot of explanation. And a little kid, you know, was like, I'll read part of the Bible verse, you know, and he was like, if your brother does not repent, like treat him as a, as a pagan and cast him out of your midst, you know, and there was no like, there was, there was no expounding on like the context or who wrote it or why or anything. And there are a lot of people in there that are just like, what's happening? Like, I thought we didn't treat people that way, you know? And then we just sat down and went on with, with stuff. And so I'm struggling with all of the text right now, uh, except for mostly just like the person of Jesus, but I'm not mad at it. Like, I'm not like, yeah. if somebody does that, I'm not like, how dare you write a song about the Bible? But I'm just at a place where I'm like, I'm not like, that's also kind of on the shelf with all the, like, what did this mean? It's been used to manipulate so many people. It's been so used against women. Like what's going on here? Like, I, I, I don't know what to do with it yet. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that I could enter into it in the same way now that I could then to be honest. Yeah. Like back then it was, it was meeting me in a kind of in between space, but now I don't know. I might have a really different reaction if I went back and was part of that. I look at Gunger, like, I don't know if you guys follow Gunger, but it's been really interesting to watch their work, which went from kind of more, I don't even know if I'd say traditional, but definitely Christian. Mm -hmm. um, but really like I, got so much out of beautiful things and we will run to you and these songs where I still feel like they're powerful like just the yep. idea of God making something beautiful out of something that's fallen apart gives me so much hope yep. and like just we will run to you like just I just want to run to somebody who loves me like that that just still I can still listen to that song and be like man that's beautiful but watching their evolution and like listening to them you know um they're in a very different place now and so their music transition was definitely Christian and now it's just kind of vaguely spiritual. And um, so like, where are they with that? And like, you know, there are people that we all looked up to and use their music to worship this particular yep. God. And so, you know, just watching some of your worship heroes, is that a good word for it? <laughs> like go into a different place and you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of feel that way too. But like, what do you do with that? Like, what is this now? Is this just is this worship music? Is this just what I think about the universe? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Well, I I, um, I think I almost heard you say, is this just music? Which brings us back around to like the whole topic. Yeah, like, I don't know if, I, don't know if you, I mean, I would, subconsciously, subconsciously I would have finished it that way. Yeah. Like, is this just music? Because that distinction has been right. so drilled in. Well, instead of what they wrote that was specifically used in worship contexts, right. I think. But I know what you mean by that. Like, and that shows the, the delineation um, yeah. that we use for sacred and secular. And is that a is that a helpful delineation? Does it serve I mean, does it serve a purpose in the same way now that it did say 200 years ago? Um or has it also now become a marketing term? Yeah. Well, and in some ways, like Ryan was talking about Katy Perry earlier, like, should we sing Firework as a worship song, <laughs> you know, or like, is that kind of like, it's very it's inspirational, really fun, but like, maybe not 
the cantor maybe shouldn't sing. Like maybe, maybe that maybe there's a better choice. But we could go back to her first album, which <laughs> was okay actually a CCM album, right? <laughs> and see what we could find on there. Yeah, if you can get a copy of it, right? But I mean, you you see somebody on a stage who's talking to young women about in that song the song roar i mean it's it's powerful and you can say yeah it's campy it's poppy okay but it's, it's resonating with not only me okay uh, by the way i don't know if you know this i love Katy perry <laughs> come on come on but then like you have young girls who are obviously like listening to her and they're like yes i, I mean i can be powerful too and i mean in, in a world of paid oppressive patriarchy i mean let's put those two together it's um I, th- I think women, young women, little girls need need to hear that. And they um, and I saw her the other night at the Pepsi Center. There's a there's another one We're for all you. Jealous, I know. And watching her bring a little girl on stage and empower her and love on her. I mean, that to me, that was spiritual. There was nothing secular about that. Sure, I guess I was at a secular show, but to me, it was a uh, that was uh, that was that was very profound. Yeah. And I, and I should and all the other girls, I guarantee you, watching that girl, watching Katie talk to her. Like, come on, you know that affected her, all, all those girls out there. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that gets into, like, what is church for? You know, not like there's anything wrong. I mean, that's a whole other podcast, right? That's, like, yeah. a whole other podcast series, probably. But, but like, I love Perry, Katy Perry's stuff, and I feel super empowered by it. And I used to go to a church that, to be super relevant, would sing secular songs, you mm-hmm. know, that went along with, you know, I sang Indigo Girls. Like, I, I loved it. You know, it was so fun to sing all these, like, whatever songs that had something to do with the service. And so there was a place for that, but we didn't consider it worshiping because like specifically it wasn't like that song wasn't like focusing on the characteristics of God and worshiping God, but it was, it had a place in the service though, which I thought was cool. Yeah, so what, what are the songs that we sing if they're not, let's say they're not focused on this adoration of the deity, but yet brings oneself closer to that deity. Shouldn't that be enough? Yeah, I mean, Dylan? <laughs> oh wow, everyone's <laughs> staring at me for some reason. Yeah. Um, I would absolutely say yes. Uh, I think that just about any music can can do that for you in some way or another. And this just goes right back to you know, music is part of us as a, a human race. Um, but being on a stage and performing your heart out and and getting what you know critical mass that is a spiritual experience i don't care what you say that is a truly spiritual experience doesn't matter what the setting is on that you're resonating with somebody there's a connection between you and the crowd and the other people on stage with you it doesn't matter where you're sitting in that room that's spiritual um and uh and and when i was uh, in college marching i'm a total nerd college marching band <laughs> Um, marching Southerners at JSU, go look them up. Um, in 2012, one of the charter members of the band, um, his, his name was Harold Somerville. He was, uh, dying of cancer. Uh, he lived in Georgia and he always, every single year he was there for the first day of band camp, but he was, like I said, he was dying. He asked his daughters as one of his last requests, bring me back to Jacksonville. I want to see the Southerners perform one more time. So on a Thursday night after our practice, we did a performance just for him. And there's, there's a video of it on YouTube and it will make you cry. There's pictures of him at the performance there. Um, and then he was um, a brother of my fraternity. So all the fraternity brothers went up there and we sang with him and, you know, all of the members of the, uh, the, 20 J's, what they're called, the, the tuba section, basically, uh, went up there and sang with him. 
Um, and then, I mean, it was during the, the performance that we put on, it was so emotional that I could barely play. I was like trying to hold back tears, you know, <laughs> you can't get more spiritual than that. I'm sorry. You're connected with somebody. Well, I think if nothing else, we could probably talk about this for another hour or more. Um, we'd love to hear from you out there. Like, what more would you like to hear us talk about about music and faith or what have been your experiences? Um, we'd love to, to hear that. And if any of you have the original Katy Perry album from her CCM. It was Katie Hudson back then, right? Katie Hudson. Just let us know. We would love to hear it. So... Because there's very few in existence. They're very hard to find. So, so Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.